Life is short and pleasures few, and hold the ship and drowned the crew. But oh, but oh, how very blue the sea is. That is from book one of Aberat, written by Clive Barker. What the fuck is Aberat? Yeah, it's, a, it's another one of his works, really. So have you read quite a lot of his stuff already? I've read none of his stuff. No, me neither. Absolutely none of it. I think, anyway. was, it was it Dan said he's reading something at the moment? He did. Yeah. yeah. Should I introduce the film that we got this week then? Yes, and I just so, remembered about the, uh, the the spoiler timer, so we need to talk about that. Explain that as well. Yes, so we have a half an hour spoiler timer. So in the first half an hour, we can talk about the film and its like synopsis, general themes, but things that are actually spoilers can only happen when the very abrupt half an hour spoiler timer happens. We have no idea when that's going to be. So we're just going to set it and look away. Cool. Right. I mean, I'm going to have my phone in front of me, so I'll probably know exactly when it's going to happen. Just look away from it. Put it behind yeah. something. All right. Play all the right. game. And then, as soon as that timer goes off, we all need to shout out a spoiler. <laughs> At the same time. Christ. Yeah. Okay. He was dead all along. <laughs> <laughs> it was coming from inside the house. <laughs> Fuck's sake. That kind of works, actually. Anyway, uh, it, it, both of them sort of boiler. So, uh, so this is Hellraiser, coming as an ab- adaptation of the 1986 novella Hellbound Heart. Shit, Clive Barker's Hellraiser truly raised hairs among its release to its audience of 1987. The hour and a half carnival of horrors, both visual and conceptual paint a picture of an abject conflict, the conflict of love and lust, pleasure and pain, beauty and horror, greed and selflessness. Hellraiser was a fantastical horror flick, composed of enough mystery to keep the series going for several decades after its release. Mm. And as with most horror franchises, this would somewhat cause the series to go into a downward trajectory with its presence still occasionally haunting the screens of the late 2010s. So with that, this week, I had these friends of mine watch the 1987 classic to see their views on it. Now, Joe, you've already seen it. And Ryan, it was your first time, wasn't it? It was indeed. That's correct, yes. I've only seen it once before, though. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I can't believe I hadn't already seen it before, to be fair. I, it it well, feels like... Time. Oh. <laughs> I thought it would have already started. Yeah, I thought so as well. Well, now it's going. Okay, good. So, what were your general impressions of it? Joe? I remember one of the first things I was struck by after finishing it the first time was how little Pinhead was in it. Yeah. Cause, cause yeah, like, it only gets... Because uh, well, he's such like a classic character. Uh, that I was just a bit surprised that he was only in like a quarter of it, maybe. But I kind of like that. Less than that. I think he only got like five minutes of screen time, really, overall. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I felt the same as you, to be fair. Because I think and like... Most... Sorry, go on. <laughs> and most of that was just slowly, silently shuffling about. <laughs> mm. Saying low, low-pitched things. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that when when someone's on the screen 
for less time, it kind of makes their presence more pronounced, doesn't it? So, mm. yeah, you, it made it more powerful, I think, when he did. But all of them showed up, really. But yeah, he, you think he's like going to be like a big kind of sl- slasher monster, like Freddy Krueger or Jason, like being it all the time. But he isn't. Is that really? is a big thing, I think. Actually, like um, I noticed at the beginning of the film. They were kind of setting it up as a like classic monster, mm. like eighties flick. Yeah, and then shoof, nothing. Like, like you could see with the um, the cube. Like they based that off of, I believe, something called the Devil's Toy Box. Okay, have either of you encountered that before? No. So, the Devil's Toy Box is a a toy box, as the name suggests. But it's actually a small room, which, where the walls, ceiling, and floor were composed of mirrors. And when someone enters it, they experience surreal revelations and experiences that basically, like, crowbars open their head and does a shit in it and shakes it. Just, oh, oh, just <laughs> finds them up all sides away. It's like, just like the cube in this film, really. Is this mm. a real thing? The Devil's Toy Box. It's an urban myth. Oh, an urban legend. Like creepy pasta. Yeah, it like yeah. Them. But it is it like it was, how old is it? Like a. It was like, um, one of the inspirations for the lament configuration, which is the name of the cube that you don't figure find out in the film. I was going to say that does it have a name because for some reason it feels like it'd be a, have a name like the Necronomicon's got a name. Watch it. I don't know. I Most just of the time, know the name, but it's just called the cube, but. It's called the Lament Configuration. You the find lament out. Configuration. Mm. Yeah. Or just go in appropriately. Pardon? Do you find that out in the sequel? Or is it just like lore? I think you find it out in the sequel, yeah. Right. In one of the many sad sequels. <laughs> I don't think I've got the stomach to even attempt them. Like I'm alright with just the first ones to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of like gore and shit or just just i think when a series when a franchise has so many installments i'm kind yeah. of turned turned off because i just know it's going to be like diluted quality like the nightmare on elm street's got worse as they went on and same sort of thing with everything else but i've mm. never seen nightmare on elm street i've not seen the first one at least Mm-mm. i've seen Sorry. lots of bits but never like seen it all I, through. i've never seen it either I know the I know I know the cliff notes like I know the themes and stuff. <laughs> I think I know most of my knowledge from the Simpsons episode where it's. <laughs> Where's Willie? <laughs> spoilers, dude. Sure. Um, it's the spoilers half an hour. I, what are you doing? <laughs> Oops, sorry. But yeah, I think that this this film is kind of like a a change in the direction of cinema because it came like at the end of the 80s and you had Halloween in 1978, Friday the 13th in 1980. Yeah, it's old as shit, man. Friday 13th was 1980. Um, Then Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street Street was was 84. 84, yeah, well done. (laughs) 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 Uh, You don't know reading from notes. Um... (laughs) and then yeah they they all have like quite a classic kind of slasher vibe about them 
but this this film kind of I found took the end the like the ah what's the what's the word the end of the eighties and saw it out with like a bit of a bang. So the eighties were, I'd say. God, I can't think of the word today. Categorized. Yeah, the the 80s would be categorized as quite like a greedy and consumptive period. Yeah. Because you had like the kickoff of like high octane, like neoliberalism, like with the, if you want to go into the, like the economic side of things. And then you had like the, the satanic scare as well that you always see in 80s things. And so you had like, you have these demons in the film or travelers or whatever they call themselves. They call themselves travelers, don't they? Travelers of the outer reaches of experience. Yeah, they yeah. do. That reads about. Uh, angels to some, demons to others. <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. creepy. So it's nice. just got such mystery. But you have these characters and also like frank as well who seems to be manipulating and just consuming those around him just for like greedy purposes yeah and then you have like the cult angle of it as well and ah it's it's very layered it's got a lot going on i, I really oh, yeah. enjoyed picking it apart it was really nice to sit down and just make notes watch a film and like read a film again because i haven't done that since college <laughs> so it was good yeah. fun. Hmm. Did you notice that Frank had a phoenix tattoo on his I back? Did, I saw a tattoo. I didn't know. Uh, I couldn't quite make out what it was. Yeah, I only ca- caught that on the second viewing, but I was like, oh, risen from the ashes. Oh, yeah. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's going to be a lot of that in this podcast. Like, oh, my God, yeah, I didn't yeah. say that. There was a beautiful little thing that I found. As, oh, no, I, I can't say that until the spoiler hour. Why oh, yeah. was the, the room that Frank was staying in, like, burnt? I couldn't work that out. Was that because, like, he had candles? It just looked scabby to me, like mouldy, I thought. It just looked dusty and old, yeah. But I know, because I was looking at, like, the door and around the door, and it definitely looks like burn marks. They can't be, or else the whole fucking house would have burnt down. The whole house would have caught, yeah, sure. Because I was wondering when he was messing around with the cube, he had, like, candles lit. So I was like, oh, because he obviously, like, bamfed off. Mm. Was it just the candles like burning out? But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was just like general. Yeah, yeah. I never, I never got the impression that it was burns. Really, I'm not sure. <laughs> I have to watch it again now because I'm not sure. <laughs> mm. uh, so, what did you guys think of some like some of the hot shots in that house? Because it was actually filmed in a house, not on a set. Was it in okay. a, was it in a British house? Because I was, I know it's a British director, but it did feel very British in the camera use and the sort of, uh, environment. <laughs> I think she was How walking. So I don't know. There's there's a certain filter in it that was on the just in the house and around the area sort of thing, which just reminded me of like your rhythmics music videos. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it's not really relevant. But I just. It is set in London, isn't it? Because I know she walks along 
like the harbour, and I don't know if that's London or not, but it's in America now. Yeah, is it's it though? in the US. Yeah, because everyone See, in it is American, apart from apart from Julia. Yes, Julia, yeah. e- archetypal evil English woman. Yeah, I'm, I was so off then. I don't know. It just felt really British to me. I think I the director's mean, probably coming through. Like, like the only thing the... that told me it was America was that the majority of the people in it had American accents. Yeah. yeah. I just remember feeling like it was really... Well, you I never see they... backgrounds. All the, the shots movers. are, like, really claustrophobic up against walls and shit. Like, you never see, like, a scene or scenery, mm. literally. Like, you never see, like, landscapes. It's just the bit where she's walking along the harbour and it's just the cranes. That's all. I... Yeah, the house movers are American, so I'd be... I'd bet that it's, say, in the US. I didn't really get cool. the symbolism of the cranes. Oh, oh, I think I got that one. Is so, it just to do with, like, the hooks? Just oh. before that, they had quite a few shots that looked pretty deliberate of some of the more naive characters such as the house movers and Larry like framed in like doorways as if they were inside a box and she was walking under all these crane arches that were like her like confines her box and I guess a lot of the themes of especially like the Cenobites themselves are like unleashing and breaking free of things like taboos and yeah. stuff like that. Cool. I didn't think of that at all with the doors. That's yeah, very astute. Because I also got, well, it's pretty obvious that like, because the mum, Kirsty's mum died. And then there was that scene where she's like saying, oh, I've got a place. And the dad was saying like, oh, no, you stay with us. And then mm-hmm. he was like, you don't need a job. And then and she says something like, I could do this on my own or like you can trust me with this or something to like mm. suggest that she's very sort of uh like umbrellaed and mm. what's the word just coddled yeah 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 very sheltered right so the whole story is kind of like her oh i wonder if there's some like shit in there of her like releasing or getting letting go of like her mum's death oh that's an interesting it's... angle there actually mm. I really thought that because mm. it's barely touched on apart from, I mean it could just be she they needed a reason for her to hate her stepmom <laughs> <laughs> yeah to be fair um, I would hate her too <laughs> <laughs> yeah she was a bitch I loved her though, like she was a gay man's dream. <laughs> Please those, explain. Those shoulder pads were uh-huh. something else. No, she was just, I think she was a great character in a way, but I don't want to say she's kind of like a proper feminist character though, because she kind of does everything for a man. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't pay off, but she's kind of a bit more progressive in how she walks through the world i guess and that's something i was thinking about the first time i watched it was how in this era of horror films so many of them have really strong female leads yeah and you didn't really see that in cinema at the time or even like up until Mm. recently 
where there was mm. actually that really strong female leads that it, the film was based around, and they were the ones that sort of saved the day and all that. I, think, I found that interesting. Yeah, I think especially in horror, where um, there's always the final girl um, sort of trope, where yeah. it's, a, it's a woman that normally makes it to the end of the film, like Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street. I was going to say Nightmare Before Christmas then. <laughs> or like Friday the 13th, where the entire film is just one girl being chased. Yeah. yeah. And but even like Terminator... Yeah. Yeah. Alien. Yeah. Um, Halloween, you got Laurie Strode, Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis. Um, I, would, I, I wouldn't have said that Terminator had a strong female lead until Terminator 2, though. She kind of went through a bit of a transformation in that first yeah. film. But she, she ended does survive up... the first one, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Think. That first one is kind of like her forging, maybe. Hmm. Have we got to Terminator? Eighties <laughs> <laughs> films, film. man. Yes. Which was um, your favourite Cenobite? Oh, it's got I don't, the fat one. <laughs> I, I don't want to see you say Pinhead because that's that's how it feels a bit basic. Uh, I love. Is it? Is he called Nibbler? Chatterer, maybe. Chatter. 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 I love him. He's fucking yeah. weird. I mean, to be fair. <laughs> They're all pretty weird, but uh, I don't know. I like their names. They've got Pinhead Butterball. The lady one. Yeah, what's her name? Um, Vagina. uh, Well, I think... (laughs) Oh, actually, Pinhead uh, in the script and stuff was only ever called the lead Cenobite or the priest. Yeah, I I heard that. Uh, Okay. And Clive Barker initially wasn't a huge fan of the name Pinhead because he thought it didn't do him justice. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, if, someone, yeah. if I made that film and someone was like, we should call him Pinhead, I'd be like, fuck off. <laughs> it'd like, it, yeah, it'd be like, I don't know, calling Chatterer Toothmouth. <laughs> I prefer fair, that. It would be like calling him Chatterer. I'd be like, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> Chatterer's not too bad. It's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, he's not as bad as Pinhead. Well, you got Butterball as well for the fat, which is a good one, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. what, did, what did you, what did you guys get of Frank in like the first few scenes? He was just so fucking naive. Frank. Yeah. Oh wait, no, Frank's the brother. Yeah, Frank's Larry. Frank's the brother who opens the cube at the beginning. But yeah. I think he is naive in doing that, like in thinking that he can deal with what the cube in, has inside. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It feels, it feels more like selfish than naive. Yeah, like yeah, he's because it yeah it feels like arrogance, not naivety. Yeah, okay, I agree. Yeah, I, I I did find it kind of funny that they dressed him up as like the classic '80s criminal, always wearing black, has a chain. Yeah, he has like famous getaways that he gets mentioned about, like promiscuity, lives on a mattress. Yeah, that was <laughs> that room was rough. That was that was not good. Yeah, but, yeah. His um, this isn't really a spoiler, so I'm going to say, it. but when he gets the box at the start, right at the start, yeah. his fingernails are vile. <laughs> yeah, they're not great. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> but did you notice that when he was playing with the cubers, fingernails were clean? This is what I mean. So I, I was thinking, is it a different guy that picked up the box at the start and then delivered it to him? Because it looked like he was in a foreign country to me, anyway. And then it jumped to him quickly, like in his house, wherever he was. Could be that he's metaphorically digging through the dirt to find it. 
Oh, I see you. Yeah, come on, Sam. Yeah. This is why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> well, he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could have just been a setup to just say, like, this guy is just a fucking sleazeball. So, I think I was talking about religious iconography. My laptop ran out of battery. Yeah, that happened. So, guys, um, there's a lot of statues in this film. Um, yeah, yeah, there are. And I know, I don't really? know if you all... Yeah, did you not jump when um, she was hiding and the Jesus fell out of the cupboard? <laughs> <laughs> I jumped a mile. I don't remember that. It was um, towards the end when she's like hiding and being quiet. I don't want to, is it spoiler zone yet? I don't know, like the, the alarm kind of went off. But... Oh, I was about to just do like a two minute. Oh, oh no, the alarm hasn't gone. Oh, wait for the alarm. Wait for the alarm. I'm not going to do it now. It's going off. Ah. Oh. Yeah, right, we've I'll, broken I'll, the illusion. Spoilers. Illusion's fucked, but spoilers might to go down. Right, so, spoilers are here. It's the spoiler zone, see? Get ready for some spoilers, you hear? Larry <laughs> Dice. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Did you notice, though, the they when they move into the house, there's loads of like statues of Mary and Jesus around the house. Mm. and they move them out of the house and they're in the front garden and I was kind of like it's like they're moving anything sort of like mm. a holy out and letting the evil in to the sort of house oh, is what I read they pick up that little statue that Frank has and it's just a guy with his dick in a lady well this <laughs> this ties in with my sex and decay points because that statue was next to a cockroach I'm getting, uh, I, I looked into this shit but um, oh. it's kind of like sex is always parallel to decay or something a bit grotesque uh, like there's shots yeah. of um when she is julia is sort of reminiscing and fantasizing about when her and frank were sleeping together in the past Fuck. it was it, yeah they were fucking uh it was kind of spliced with shots of her husband getting his hand cut with blood mm. and it was kind of like there's always one with the other sort of thing which I thought was quite interesting. The conflict between love and lust. Yeah. Greed, selflessness, beauty and oh. horror, pleasure and pain. It's all like she had a lot of love, I'll be honest. She I definitely did for him. Old... Oh. She did. She did no, for him. Yeah. She, she loved Frank and he used that to manipulate her. Love for Frank, sure. I think that was mostly mm. lust, wasn't it? I don't know. I think you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have killed people for someone if I just wanted a quick fit yeah. off, you know what I mean? Yeah, she must have she, had some... She felt like she had more feelings than that. I loved the moment where Frank said, it'll be like love, only real. <laughs> that is like a 80s tagline in Fred, anything, really. Honestly. But again, it was like her and him together, it, it was never quite right, because I think that she was... There's one scene where she's like sucking his finger and it's like, it, mm. it's when he's not got all his skin on yet. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this they, is grim. They could even be the two sides of love, like the volatile, like violent love and the steady, slow burning love. Like, we, well, I mean, like fra between Larry and Frank, really. Like mm, Frank yeah. would be like that volatile, violent one. And Larry is like the safe, slow burning long-term love kind of thing but then he turns larry into the other mm. 
mm-hmm. like yeah. by literally putting his skin on. Yeah, he becomes. Yeah, he tries to hide also, within. Yeah. How fucking annoying was that scene where uh, Kirsty comes back to to Larry after he's been like skinned and put on Frank, and there's literally like blood everywhere and around like, oh, his Dad, face. I'm so glad you're not hurt. Ignoring apart from all the blood around your face. Yeah. Yeah, why not like, that shit? Yeah, baby. I'm fine. <laughs> and the fact that Red Skull fits perfectly into his brother's skin. Yeah, yeah that was a bit... <laughs> it, was I a creepy, though. Can, it worked. Like, I can I look freaking. past it, yeah. It did. I found it jarring. And it's probably just, like, whatever. But I felt like the skeletal form of Frank didn't look like Frank. No, not at all. It was too wide here, wasn't it? Yeah, but was that just because he was wearing a mask and that literally adds mask to your face? I think all of his audio is dubbed over by a different actor anyway. Is it? Yeah. I think you have to kind of suspend your disbelief a little bit and like, I think you can a nut to a degree, can you? But I think Frank, did anyone sort of feel like he was a bit creepy with his niece? Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah, hugely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know if there was previous there, like if if he like abused her before, but he was kind of like come to daddy and was like you're pretty and you're beautiful, and I was a bit like oh I don't like this. That man yeah. has no limits though, does he? This is what I, yeah. It's one of his defining characters. Find the limits. Mm. I love when um, after um, Kirsty had spoken to the Cenobites and had said I'll get Frank back for you, and they say maybe. Um, I think <laughs> and basically then it cuts to Julia and Frank Af- I think it's after Kirsty finds out that Larry was face cutty offied I think that's, right. the, that's the medical term um, <laughs> and then she loved <laughs> oh, nice. oh no no it was before that Julia says to Frank Julia says um, she'll tell him everything and Frank says, she'll tell Larry first. So you ah. think that Julia's like referring to Larry. But that second line tells you that she's actually referring to the Cenobites. Right. It's like, ooh. <laughs> A little hidden bits of spice in that dialogue. I don't understand. Tell me again. I'm confused. <laughs> I, I set it up really badly. But um, Julia... I think it's when they find out that the cube is missing and that she got it. Right. That Kirsty has the cube. And right. Julia panics and she says, she'll tell him everything. And you think they're talking about Larry. And then Frank says, she'll tell Larry first. Oh, okay. Just, oh, oh. Yeah, that's cool. Creep. Creep factor. <laughs> I love... Also, um, like the depiction of... Is it, is it hell? Are they from hell? I think it's kind of like a hellish realm. In my head, it's it's like somewhere in between. I don't know. It's it's too cold. Well, I get a cold feeling anyway. It's like blue and icy. It's not like hell. Yeah. It doesn't have to, you know. I love the depiction of, which you see a lot more in the second film, but the depiction of like the endless labyrinth. To quote some, you don't see any of that in this film, do you? You do. She, when she goes through the wall of the hospital, Oh, a little oh bit. yeah! You just see like the really long yeah. But there's um, but there's like a shot where she looks back and mm. it just goes on forever. I love that. It's, I to quote another film, uh, "Hell is only a word 
the reality is much worse. Like, I, I, whether you call it hell or not, I think is just semantics. Really. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if the, I was, I guess I meant, did they refer to it as anything? They, they don't refer it to it as anything. Did they say like a distant uh, realm or something, Sam? What was that quote? Yeah. Yeah. They say that they are uh, distant travelers from the outer reaches of experience. Okay. I think so. They're like angels to some, demons to others. And I just love that, like, mysterious part of it. Like, are they these, like, extra dimensional... Well, they're extra-dimensional entities, basically. Like... Yeah. Or are they just extra-dimensional aliens? Like, but what's the difference? Does it matter? Like, does it matter? <laughs> You're still like- going to get tortured to death. My no, Christ. <laughs> do, they, do they serve someone, something? Never, think- never stated. Right. I got one question actually. When he escapes through the floor again, because his brother spilled his blood on the floor, and he comes back and he's like, "I escaped." Yeah. Uh, the Cenobites. He has the box in his hand, but I think I thought that when they um, first took him away at the start, Pinhead picked it up and then disappeared. Well, he must have the the way he got bust back must have been by finding the box somehow. Might have been, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering what that was about. Or through the, um, some power of the box. Did you got like this? Probably you might not know this, but the guy who played Larry um, yeah. was in uh, Child's Play three. That <laughs> <laughs> is niece, but I, I recognised him. I was like, "Who is this?" And he was the barber in the army. Anyway, um, <laughs> the homeless guy in the crickets. Oh yeah, let's talk about right. him. That I whole thought pet shop bit. I kind of didn't like the homeless guy angle. I what thought it he? was completely unnecessary. He's is like he just, a guardian of the box, yeah. isn't he? It, it was just nothing, nothing, nothing. Creepy homeless guy, creepy homeless guy with piercing eyes. Suddenly he turns into like a skeletal veloc- like pterodactyl and flies off. It's like, what? what the, <laughs> the crickets represent anything? I think it's just that he's not all there. I don't know. Not entirely human? Yeah. No crickets are symbols of luck, protection, patience, and contemplation. Oh. Protection. Yeah, if he's I the protective know. kind I of guardian. Maybe just looking into it. Yeah, he, it, did, it didn't give me many vibes at all, apart from, ooh, creepy homeless man. But why was, why was he as, like, the deliverer of the box? Why was he stalking Kirsty? I think he was keeping an eye on the family potentially because he knew that they had it in their mm. possession and was making sure just what was going on with it. I, but I don't know, 100%. <laughs> was that and it's no. the idea that he is, maybe he is a Cenobite and like the weird bony thing is his form. Yeah. And he's, he's lot- like an agent from the Cenobites that permanently lives on Earth to move the cube around, I don't know. Yeah, to get as many people, to collect as many souls as possible, isn't it? It's like doing the devil's work, I guess. But the weird creature running down the hallway. Mm. Oh, this the the bee thing. What the? The what weird bee. It was like, great. Yeah, just another Cenobitisium. It was, yeah. it was more beastly than the other Cenobites, really. He's in the... Sorry, go on, Jack. He's in the second film, right? Spoilers. 
We're not there yet. <laughs> Maybe we'll get there. I'm not watching the... the second one again. I've heard <laughs> the second one's all right, though. I, I, great. I oh, prefer okay. the second one. Oh, I don't. I think it's better than the first. I don't know. I was kind of distracted when I was watching it, so maybe it's not the best. It's the second one is mad ting. Sam, actual question: um, Why yeah. did you pick this film? Was there a particular reason, or? Um. Well, I know that Joe really liked it, and it spoke to him quite a bit when he. When he watched it and stuff. And I knew that you hadn't seen it. Okay. So I just thought, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, um, I think the thing that surprised me most about it was its brutality. Yeah, I think. Yeah. It, and obviously, I don't know. Is S&M like, quite a new thing in the 80s? And a lot of people were anxious it about it. Yeah, it's still a very much like unspoken of thing. I, I think a lot of um, horror is talks about like, well, explores anxieties we all have, but especially with sex and things like that. Mm. Horror is a big thing for sex. And I don't know if this it portrays S and M as quite negative, and if you practice in it as Frank does, you were going to get end up in a bad sort of situation. So I don't know. I just I thought yeah. it was a bit of a weird way to portray S&M stuff. Barker was speaking yeah. in 1997, actually, and said really, something really interesting about this kind of thing, which is that, um, so the quote is, acts that offer a glimpse of transcendence to one group are con- condemned by another. We are pressured from every side by peers, by a church, by a state to accept the consensual definition of taboo. Hmm. Though so often... What excites our imaginations most is the violation of taboo. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I, I think horror is all about pushing like the bruises of people's. Well, that's not the right phrase, but it's like playing with people's anxieties and oh yeah, things like that. It's so, always yeah, sense. just in front or just behind people's like tastes. Yeah, really. So it's just a little bit outside of the box. Mm. I find that's also changed recently with so much sort of mainstream horror, if you want to call it, where it does what you expect it to do. Yeah, there's not much. um, There's some, obviously, films which are original and try and do new things with it and sort of push the boundaries a little bit. Like I I Get Out especially comes to mind. Ari Aster just... And all Ariasta stuff, like, let's yeah. be honest. Um, but I'm yeah, I know what you mean. Is yeah. he dead? No, he's not. I just... Oh my God. <laughs> you <laughs> heard that his new film is going to be like, essentially a horror comedy and about four and a half hours long. Holy shit. I don't know if I can get to cinema for that. I need a slash after two. Like, um, <laughs> <I can't... laughs> need a slasher after two. Oh, yeah. hey. What a no, top joke. I love it. I did. I did like at the start actually how it, the man was like, "It always was your box." Oh yeah, <laughs> that was that was good. I felt like, mm, I don't know. I felt like that was a little bit schlocky. Where it was like, uh, "The box it's is like mine the shining, now. Isn't it? it always was." Yeah, <laughs> it's like the, kind of. Come it's on, it's like the shining where it's like, um, "You were always the caretaker." I don't know. Spoil anything. But, uh, <laughs> 
you've been here forever. Yeah, it was very that. But I, mm. I like that kind of thing. I, I love shit like that. Uh, I'm trying to look at my notes and see if there's anything else that I really wanted to push on. Which, what well, I'm just going to dive in, which stage of Frank's regeneration did you find the creepiest? First one. Um, red face. I'll tell you what distressed me the most was when he started wearing a white shirt and he was getting blood all over it. That's like, what I mean. Mate, mate <laughs> you're just getting that dirty and it's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> That's the one I felt with the same. Purely just, red just skull. because of the fucking liquid all over the shirt. I was like, why don't you just no. wait a bit until you're not bleeding everything? <laughs> <sighs> Love it. I, there was a beautiful... This beautiful shot that kind of creeped me out a bit when the first guy had been killed, like just fucking hammered in his head. Um, yeah, that was a moment I liked. Go ahead. And he's yeah. he's on the floor, and then uh, Julia basically like looks away and is like facing to kind of towards the way that the camera is like coming from. And the camera just over her shoulder as the door closes can see like Frank like dragging himself along yeah. the floor towards the first corpse. Oh, grim! That that first one was the creepiest, I think, of his. He deserved also, it though. The entire like reconstruction scene was so well done. This yeah. is what I mean when I when I said the effects were hit and miss. Like with the electric and the box, there was a bit like. Mm. Mm. never-ending story but this yeah the, the skeleton coming back to life and all that quite regeneration stuff is really strong i felt yeah i liked that did you think that kirsty this is i don't know i'm probably wrong but do you think she's psychic or has some kind of psychic leaning because she had a dream that her dad was um dying or i remember she looked she was dreaming he was yeah. under the white and then it, it was him underneath and then it oh happened. god yeah that weird dream i want to talk about that like what the fuck is going on why are there feathers everywhere for one why is he under a sheet <laughs> i know i i don't know to be fair i think it, it's again it's like not attacking religion so much but kind of like something that's meant to be quite sacred like a, like a kind of funeral or kind of like a sort of someone under yeah being buried whatever and then it just sort of like becomes more corrupt and dark when it starts just to bleed and well i guess it's symbolizing frank coming back right because he bleeds well first of all he bleeds on white shirts so um, oh yeah, yeah we know that he's uh, got that in his <laughs> in his wheelhouse yeah but uh larry is looks dead under the sheet and then like becomes alive right does he like set up or something i can't remember yeah i think it's definitely your dad under the sheet yeah, I remember. starts bleeding and it comes through and then he sits up, right? Mm. And she screams like, and... Yeah. I don't know. I always just kind of see that shit as storytelling. Yeah. Uh, Fair enough. Shit. Did you think that how she suddenly was able to control the box was a little bit... Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be able to suss that box out. Let's I kind just say of, that. I've kind of always liked the idea that the box somehow kind of tells you subliminally how to solve it like it wants yeah. to be found it wants to be tampered with kind of there like a, its own entity there was a beautiful moment that kind of showed how like smart she was earlier in the film as well so uh when she was taken into the hospital 
Um, she's she gets up. She's told to get back into bed, and then they leave the room, and um, basically she goes to the door and really wants to get out. I think this is after she opens the box and things start going weird. Uh, you see her like go up to the hospital room door and she sees that it's locked. Now, mm-hmm. what would any other character do in that situation? Bang on it, say, let me out. Bang on it, say, let me out. But she didn't want them to know that she was being rowdy in there. Mm. Like, okay. she realized that it would just gain unwanted attention. And I think that was like a really subtle way of showing that she really had some wits about her. Yeah. I think that yeah. she, I think she'd have more wits if she did have more wits. Even I think she'd have been a better uh, customer service attendant in that pet shop. Because <laughs> I think she had other she things to worry rude. about, such as, <laughs> such as her uncle bleeding on white shirts like a monster. But it was the there was the woman in that pet shop made me laugh. She said, "Where's the manager?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, the 80s had their Karens too. Oh, she was the best. I loved her. She was so funny. But um, the pet shop scene was a bit redundant for me. I think it was just a reason to have the monkey kind of scream and like cut to it. And then I was like, oh, okay. And and it was, I think the real point of that pet shop scene was just more of the homeless man who wasn't needed. I do think that... um, It was kind of world building for me. It gave you like, if the whole... Because everything else was just in the house, the whole film, right? Apart from the scenes of Kirsty walking places and in the pet shop. You've got a few scenes of Julia in the bar trying to seduce men. Oh, and yeah, she's sure. she's um, the daughter is in the underpass with that bloke. Yeah. They, and this really, really like decayed kind of crusty underpass, but they're mm. sharing share a tender moment. So. I kind of don't mind it if the purpose was just <laughs> for like a breather. Hmm. I didn't mind. It's like a palate cleanser, I guess. Yeah, I didn't it, mind it. Its purpose was for me. But I, I imagine it probably was to somehow include the homeless guy. Mm-hmm. I did have one other thing to mention, uh, tied in with sort of religious stuff. Um, Frank kind of is crucified at the end. Um, yeah, yeah. The whole... Yeah. And then he says, um, Jesus wept, and he kind of says it with a bit of pleasure and i'm like what do you mean by that <laughs> yeah i never understood the point of that line mm, i think he did always say it was like pleasure and pain indivisible mm. almost like jesus wept as if he knows that he's probably being looked at um with pity i guess maybe by some higher power <laughs> for what he's doing and how corrupt he is and i don't know but, he but it's like happy he was almost, it. yeah, he was like enjoying it, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he's, he's into that kind of shit, though, isn't he? He's a, he's a bit of a freak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. To round things off, out of two Chuckle Brothers, how many do you give it? <laughs> I think mm-hmm. for a complete uniqueness, I'd give it a two. Two Chuckle Brothers out of two Chuckle Brothers? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know if you're... Oh, that's, that's, that's Barry and Paul. That's a perfect score. <laughs> well, it's it's not a perfect film, and it's probably not my favourite horror ever, but I think for doing something different with the genre and 
surprising me. I, I think I'll give it two because two, two out of two Chuckle Brothers. Fantastic. Yeah. Joe. I mean, I'm not a fan of the scoring system, I'll be honest. Two out of two Chuckle... you got to go out of two Chuckle Brothers. It's my <laughs> film, my scoring system. When you pick a yeah. film, you can pick a scoring system. Uh, I think I'd give it two. <laughs> it's certainly my favourite horror of that decade. Two out of two Chuckle Brothers again? I've seen, yeah. It was the only one that actually creeped me out. The Shining was 1980, though. Yeah, mm. it's okay. That's oh, my favourite film, man. Different kind of book? horror. I've not read the book yet. I need to read the book. Yeah. After reading the book, I was like, I understand why Stephen King hates the film. <laughs> yeah, but I think Kubrick kind of did his own thing with it, and it's yeah. different to the book, but, but yeah. I preferred what the book did than what the film did. All right. Cool. Yeah. Okay. The book is fantastic and very different. Mm. I'd, I'd give the film one and a half Chuckle Brothers, I think. I didn't know we could do half. Yeah, you can do half, Chuckle Brothers. Oh, oh well, yeah, I'd probably give it one and a half. Yeah. Oh, one Jesus. All right, let's start again then. Ryan, how many Chuckle Brothers out of two? <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> one and a half Chuckle Brothers. That's a very good score. Cheers, thanks. Joe, how many Chuckle Brothers out of two? I think I'd, after much consideration, I'd have to go with one and a half. One and a half Chuckle Brothers. All right. Well, consideration and revelations. <laughs> to me, to... Non- you cut out then, Joe. Sorry, what was that? Yeah. No, I didn't. That was the joke. I said, it's to me to... <laughs> oh, God damn it. Oh, my God. I walked straight into it. Fair play. Isn't one of them dead now? Why is both of them dead now? One. Oh, shit. Yeah. Smaller of the two. Oh. Uh, Barry. Barry. You, I didn't know him by name. Like, fair play to you. Hmm. Where are they from? They're from up your way, aren't they? Good Yorkshire lads, yeah. aren't they? Northerners. No, he's not no, Northern, he's Midlands. <laughs> Don't <laughs> even start this. I, know. I'm, I just say it because it annoys him. I got that wrong the other day. I was like, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anything north of the M2 is north. You wait You wait until we get out of this quarantine. Oh, fists are flying. <laughs> fists are doing something. Anyway. Right. Right. So, so that, next, that was Hellraiser. Who's yeah. choosing next? Believe Me. Do you know and I don't. Choosing? Oh, I don't. I'm torn between two. And I, do you want me to say them or I keep it quiet uh, for next week? Keep them. Keep it quiet. Yeah. So, are we doing this next week or the week after? What are we doing? Are we going to discuss that whilst we're recording? Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just cut no. this bit out. No, the, for the for the audience, all three of them. Um, we uh, <laughs> thinking we'll at least start every other week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See how it goes. So every other week we're gonna rotate. We're gonna pick a film, book, TV show, anything like that, and just discuss it and yeah, see what kind of stuff we can come up with. Yeah. Yay! Cool. So thank you for listening, everybody. This has been the Something Art Show, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Bye. See you later, boys and girls. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye, Mom. Jeez.